Stella made a beat, so it's go time. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Core 4 Podcast, a podcast on the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network alongside GBB Live 3 and D and the Starting 5 Podcast. Make sure you're liking, subscribing, downloading, writing a review, whatever platform possible, whether it's iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcast, Stitcher, Megaphone, or iHeartRadio, wherever you listen to your podcast. Grizzly Bear Blues is a blog under SB Nation. Make sure you're following them at SB and Grizzlies and reading its content at grizzlybearblues.com. I'm your host, Parker Fleming. With me is none other than Nate, the chess pass Chester. Nate, what up? I've been better, Parker. I've been better. I've received better news in recent days and recent weeks than the news we all received here today. Yeah, if you're um, unless you're living under a rock, uh, you found out that Jaron Jackson Jr. will miss the rest of the regular season, or rest of the season for that matter, with a torn meniscus, and it will require surgery. And it's demoralizing because this this team in the bubble, it's it hasn't been good for them at all. Um, they're zero and three. Uh, Jaron Jackson Jr is one of three players hitting above 35% on his three-point shots. The other ones are Grayson Allen and Anthony Tolliver, who has played under 11 minutes a game. So, uh, and he's also uh, averaging 25 points a game. So, it's not great. It's not yeah, great at all. I don't know how many minutes they've played with him on the bench off the top of my head, but I do know the Grizzlies have been outscored, I think, 30 points per 100 possessions when Jaron has been on the bench. So there's no need to sugarcoat it. There's no need to try to project this positive image as far as the uh, playoff seating is concerned. It's over. Uh, For Orlando, it is, in fact, over for the Memphis Grizzlies. And, you know, Maybe they somehow get lucky. Maybe they win one of these next five games of the ragtag unit they have left, even though there's no statistical data to suggest that they will be able to pull off a win because it's not just Jaron. It's also the absence of Tyus Jones, who might be back by Friday. We don't know. He's getting reevaluated in the next day or so. And the absence of Justice Winslow. When you have a team that's as young as this current iteration of the Memphis Grizzlies, what do you expect? You can only take so much before you fold, and that's the point where they're at right now. The future is still bright. The future has never been brighter for the franchise. And you know what this reminds me of from a player-to-player comparison as far as the situation for Jaron does right now? Who? Michael Jordan is the first name that comes to mind. Second season in the league, ends up dealing with a significant injury, an injury more significant. I think it was a a fractured foot. Um, Misses most of his second season. He's able to play the end of the year and play into the playoffs, but he had a significant injury that caused him to miss most of the season in his second year, and he came back in year three and averaged 37 points per game. 
Now, Jaron Jackson's not Michael Jordan, and I don't think he's going to come in and average 37 a game next year. But I think you're going to see the best version of him that we've seen so far in year three. And he's going to be that much closer to reaching his final upside. So I'm excited to see him get back to health and be the player that we were seeing him becoming already in the Orlando bubble. Oh, yeah, no, for sure. And, you know, before the news was breaking, I was in the process of writing this piece about how Jaron Jackson Jr. was on his way to becoming a breakout player in the Orlando bubble. Small sample size, but he was averaging 25.3 points, 1.7 blocks, 1.3 steals, and he was shooting 36% from three on nine attempts a game. And over the course of this season, and particularly in the bubble, he has shown that he is taking three and D and just stretching it beyond its possible horizons. Um, this season, I, I know he's probably going to see this uh, record get shattered from him, at least for, for this season. But he's leading the league in games with at least two or more blocks and two or more threes with 22 such games. And that number actually ranks seventh all time in any season. And that's behind last season's Brooke Lopez, uh, Kevin Durant, Rasheed Wallace, Danny Granger, Chris Osporzingis, Carl Anthony Towns. So he was really showing everybody that he's on that unicorn level as well. I mean, he's firing threes at the frequency of a guy like Clay Thompson, Duncan Rock. He's firing threes at the same clip as the elite three-point shooters while also connecting on them at an elite level. And he was also, he was also protecting the rim pretty well too. Granted, his defense wasn't as great this year, but you can argue that a lot of it, his defensive uh, clamor last year, it was helped by playing with Mark Saul. He's going to pick up the nuances and stuff defensively and he'll be fine. But in the Orlando bubble, he really started to evolve into this go-to score, frankly, on the perimeter that we haven't seen since Rudy Gay. And that's because he's really picked up on his ball handling. I mean, he blew past Yusuf Nurkic for a big poster dunk. He made Zion look like he was in freaking quicksand on defense. And he, we've seen him do it to perimeter players at times as well. And I just really, I hate this for Jenks. I really think he was about to show everybody, Hey, I know jaw gets a lot of talk, but Hey, I'm here too. And we're doing this together. And we are here to take over the Western conference this decade. I, so did you watch any of the Lakers and jazz game last night? I did not get to, no. No, I saw the end of it, and Anthony Davis hit this shot to give him 40 points on two-time defensive player of the year, Rudy Gobert. Your favorite player. Who got uh, basically adopted into Anthony Davis's family as his son last night. Um, But uh, one of the last possessions to get to 40 points, um, you see Anthony Davis do this through-the-leg step-back shoots the three and makes it and gets fouled by Gobert. It's a very impressive shot, especially for a player who is seven foot. And I saw some Lakers fan account tweet this right after it. They got several hundred retweets. And he said, there's not a player in NBA history who could do what Anthony Davis just did on that shot against Gobert. 
Anthony Davis is an MVP candidate. He's the best big man in the NBA today. He's a phenomenal ball handler for a player of his size. He's a good shooter. He's a great post player. And he's going to be the defensive player of the year this year. Best big man in the NBA bar none. And I see that play and I see that comment from that Lakers fan account. And you know what I think to myself? Jared Jackson makes that type of shot off the dribble at least once per game on a regular basis. Jared Jackson is 20 years old, and you can already see how much his skill level has progressed to this point. His ball handling, his shot creation, his shooting in general, like you said, taking nine attempts from beyond the yard in Orlando. What will he look like as an offensive player at 25 years old? A 30-per-game scorer who's taking nine or ten shots from beyond the yard, who is literally unguardable because you can't put a big man on him because his ball handling is so great. If he continues on this developmental trajectory, I don't see why he can't become that player. And he may just be a 6'11", 3-and-D shooting guard. He may never be a guy who averages seven or eight rebounds a game. We don't know. It certainly wasn't trending in that direction in Orlando but he's going to be a true unicorn in every sense of the word. And the word unicorn has already become a cliche. It's already become overused, but there really is no one like him in the NBA today. And that's going to become even more apparent the better that he gets, the older that he gets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's one, one thing you mentioned in there that I really do want to touch on is the fact that his rebounding numbers, we don't know how – good or poor of a rebounder he's going to be you know when he's hitting apex jaron jackson jr and one thing i've just been kind of observing just from watching and on the box score is i always preach how whenever you have to go small like with jaron jackson jr at the five and brandon clark at the four you need to have that mob mentality on the glass and so far in the bubble john morant he's had a, against Portland, he had six rebounds. San Antonio, he had nine. And New Orleans, he had five. That's going to be a big part of this whole thing with peak Memphis Grizzlies, peak next gen, is that Mamatani on the glass and particularly how it pertains to John Morant because he is one of the most electrifying players in the fast break. And if you can have him become a potent rebounder, kind of similar to how guys like Russell Westbrook and John Wall and Lon and to a lesser extent, obviously, but Lonzo Ball. I mean, he's a great rebounder, but he's not on the level of caliber of John Moran in terms of a player right now. But if you become a potent rebounder and kind of shore up those deficiencies that you may have on the glass with Jaron, that's going to come a long way. And also, it leads me to say, there's been a lot of criticism on Jaron Jackson Jr., especially after scrimmage play with his rebounding and his fouling. And, you know, those were drawing the questions of, oh, man, is this guy really it? You know, what will uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. be? Is he going to be in the Grizzlies' future? Instead of focusing on the stuff that we just talked about here for the last two or three minutes, and that is the fact that he is hitting step-back threes at least once a game, that he is firing threes at an efficient clip. And as Joe Molinax famously dubs, he plays like a 6'11 Clay Thompson, and he can also protect the rim, and he's – frankly doing stuff that we haven't really seen before from the big man position in terms of his his size his ball handling and his three point not even just his three-point shooting but his three-point volume 
I mean, he's firing threes, like you said, like a big 3-and-D, 6'11 shooting guard. And that's just rare. And as um, I'm going to kind of paraphrase the Rangers' Kevin O'Connor here, don't take Jaron Jackson Jr. for granted. And if you do, you're going to learn why in the next five games or so. So, Nate, I do want to kind of transition. I want to ask you, what do you think the Grizzlies should adjust in their rotations for these next five games without Jaron Jackson Jr.? I think you can overthink it, but I think you just move Brandon Clark into the starting lineup. I think it's the easiest solution, especially if you believe that Brandon Clark is going to be one of the starters in your front court in the future, which does seem to be the most likely outcome three to four years from now. So just go ahead and move Brandon Clark into the starting lineup. Um, I think you can keep Kyle Anderson at the three and Dylan Brooks at the two. Maybe starting Kyle Anderson at the four and starting Grayson Allen with Dylan Brooks could be a potential um, another potential option. Um, an option that I was thinking they should do, and I don't think I tweeted about this or have written about this in any way, but it would have got along with Joe's piece from this morning about DeAnthony Melton. As we were making the conversation between Dylan and Grayson, uh, Dylan and Grayson Allen for the starting two guard spot. With the absence of Tyus Jones, to me, if you were looking to make a change, DeAnthony Melton should have been the one to get moved to the starting lineup because him being used in the second unit without Tyus Jones as a point guard is not going to work. I've been vindicated for the piece that I wrote about him last summer when I said DeAnthony Melton is not a point guard. He doesn't have the pull-up shooting ability to be a consistent point guard. He doesn't have the vision and the true playmaking ability to be a starting point guard. That's no disrespect to him. That's just not his game. He works better as a secondary playmaker. So if you're looking to get DeAnthony Melton going, maybe try try starting him next to John Moran to the starting lineup. So let's say for the sake of this thought exercise without Jaron Jackson, you could go John Morant. You could go DeAnthony Melton. You could go Dylan Brooks. Maybe start Kyle Anderson at the four, since that is probably his best position, naturally speaking. And then, of course, start Valanciunas at the five. That way, Brandon Clark can remain the spark plug that he is in the second unit, because Lord knows the second unit needs a jolt, regardless of whatever happened to Jaron Jackson Jr. It just needed that jolt in general. But there are multiple different ways that you can approach this, and I don't think there necessarily is a wrong one, especially when, let's face it, you're going to be overmatched no matter what you do in every single game that you play from here on out. When you face the bricklayers of the Utah Jazz, anything can happen. Utah is the one team in the Orlando bubble that has shot worse from beyond the arc from the Grizzlies. So I'm, I, for one, am excited to see the bricklaying competition that we're going to see tomorrow, no matter what lineups the Grizzlies decide to put out there. But you know what's the most painful part of this for me, Parker? You know what it is? It's going to have to do with something involving Nathan Chester, MVP, Rudy Gobert. It it 100% does. Do you remember you mentioned it yourself, the nice little jab step crossover that Jaron Jackson put on Joseph Nurkic and then flushed it on him at the rim for Nurkic to pick up his sixth foul and foul out? You wanted the same to happen to Rudy Gobert. Absolutely, 100%. And I'm not going to be able to get to see it. Maybe a John Morant, Brandon Clark, pick and roll, goes awry, and Gobert gets caught in the wrong spot. Maybe, maybe, knock on wood. Um, but I would have liked to have seen Jaron do it. And I'm not going to get to see it, and that's tragic. Or the more likely scenario, we will get to see Dylan Brooks get Rudy Gobert off the switch 
and take him, <laughs> take him off the dribble with a step back, pull up two, long two, fade away, falling down. And it's just one of those that he hits. And I'll be able to just take that one clip, pin it to my Twitter. If they <laughs> don't take Dylan Brooks for granted. Dylan Brooks just scored in isolation off a two-time defensive player of the year. I don't want to hear any disrespect. I don't want to hear any slander. But more likely than not, Dylan Brooks is broke as usual and misses the step-back 17-footer with Gobert's hand in his face. And I get to listen to Jazz Twitter explain why Rudy Gobert should win his third defensive player of the year award because he finally successfully defended a player on the perimeter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, to just backtrack on the rotation thing, I agree with you. Um, there's no wrong answer. I think it'd be really nice if you had Brandon Clark start. And maybe with, without Jaron Jackson, I don't know if Coach is going to do this, but instead of just bringing, uh, you know, next man up, just go eight-man. Go eight-man rotation to where you don't really have a second unit. You're just kind of – you're really just floating players. And you're at all times you have – John Morant, Jonas Valanciunas, or Brandon Clark on the court at the same – or not at the same time, but you have them on the court at all times at 48 minutes. And I think it might be nice to – I like the suggestion of bringing up Melton because you are lowering his responsibilities in a way. But also, too, you're keeping Brandon Clark and Grayson Allen on the bench, and they've been your two sources of offense off the bench. And quite frankly – Without those two guys, you're probably getting your ass kicked in the bubble. So, and you know what? I never thought I never thought we were going to say this, especially since we all kind of wrote off Grayson Allen because he had his injury before the seasons before the season ended, and you also had Josh Jackson on his little tear. You have DeAnthony Melton, who was an analytics god over the course of the regular season. I mean, he looked like a a middle-class Drew Holiday. I mean, you had all these options, and uh, as, yeah. as, I, as I perfectly wrote it myself, here comes Grayson. Uh, I think yeah, Gray, Grayson is going to be a rotation player going forward. I don't think there's any arguing with that, just simply because shooting is the most um, premium skill in the modern NBA, and he obviously provides that, even if he is a bit streaky. Just the get last game he had alone against the Pelicans proves that he has a place going forward. But uh, we can talk about how disappointing Melton has been. And I think I texted you last night saying that, one, Tyus Jones has proven himself to be the third most important player on the Grizzlies roster for how he functions in the second unit. And, two, Tyus Jones was going to scam the Atlanta Hawks into throwing DeAnthony Melton a four-year, $50 million bag this offseason, which I think was a real possibility before the Orlando bubble games. That's how much Melton has struggled, and I think he may have lost the opportunity for a contract like that. But do you know who's really been the most disappointing and really under-talked about player on the Grizzlies roster that would be very helpful in a situation like this, hypothetically speaking? You're going to say Josh Jackson. I rode and died for Josh Jackson. I wrote two features about him in the three weeks leading up to the, rest to the Orlando restart. I watched him in the scrimmage games, and I watched him in the spot minutes that he's gotten in the last couple games. 
it, it looks like he hadn't played NBA basketball in a year or two. It look, he looks like a deer-in-the-headlights rookie. The game is entirely too fast for him. And he would give you so much lineup versatility in the absence of Jaron Jackson with his size and with the skill set that he hypothetically brings to the table. Three-level shot creation, a versatile defender. And for whatever reason – whether he just can't find a rhythm, there's some kind of disconnect, he's lost confidence. I don't know what he is, but the guy who led the Grizzlies in scoring during the month of March, hey, without Jaron Jackson and Brandon Clark, he's the guy who stood out the most when those two players were missing, and now Jaron Jackson is out for extended time again, and they're just not able to rely on him. That is deeply frustrating to me. And – I don't know how that bodes going forward as far as his NBA future is concerned. I'm sure he'll still be in the NBA this coming year, but um, his prospects certainly don't look better than they were a couple of months ago. Yeah, I, I agree. I was the same way. I kind of wrote on Josh Jackson as well, too. I mean, I've been on record for GBB live on this show on 92.9. I've said, I think Josh Jackson's that one guy that can, kind of bring you that X factor and steal you again in the bubble. And like you said, he looks like a deer in the headlights. And I'm going to quote something I heard on the Chris Vernon show the other day, and it kind of was just like this Grayson Allen versus Josh Jackson thing. Grayson plays within himself, and he plays in the system, and he plays well in the system. He's not going to make many mistakes. Where Josh Jackson, he plays like a guy fighting for his NBA life, trying to do too much, you know? he He's just not – Looking good. And you know what, Nate? I'm going to kind of nitpick your stat here. Yes, he led the month in scoring in March. But let's see. He played the juggernaut defenses of the Atlanta Hawks, the Brooklyn Nets, the Dallas Mavericks, and the Orlando Magic. Cam Reddish and Chris Chioza could not hold him in the month of March, Parker. He was unstoppable. Evan Fournier, helpless. There wasn't anything he could do. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, it, it is a shame that um, Josh Jackson really isn't painting out. I mean, all season long, we're like, man, what can we get out of Josh Jackson? What can we get out of Josh Jackson? Because he was in the hustle, and then we had to watch countless and countless Marco Guterich jumpers just hit and miss while Josh <laughs> Jackson was the one wearing the puppy uniform. Speaking Speaking about Marco Guterich, this thought crossed my mind earlier today, and and I like Marco Guterich. He's a guy. Yeah, he's a guy of faith. He seems like a great guy, person. I think it's a little. It's amusing to me how his name has literally not come up at all um, in the in the scrimmages, training camp, seeding games, or anything. I just remember the narrative that surrounded him coming into to the Grizzlies at the beginning of the season, thinking he was a uh, 45% three-point shooter in Serbia, and he's coming over to the Grizzlies. You li- literally will not even hear his name come up anymore. <laughs> yeah, uh, he hasn't really – yeah, I, I, don't, I forgot he was on the team, to be honest. But, hey, yeah. hey we're going to take a quick ad break. But on the other side, we got to get to that poll that we posted before Jaron Jackson got hurt. We do. All right, we're back. So, earlier today, I stole a tactic from GDB Live, and – did a question of the day, and that question was ahead of tomorrow's game with the Utah Jazz and being over a year removed from the Mike Conley trade, who won the trade? And I didn't want to do the whole, like, diagram of 
what happened with each stuff. It was the simple Conley for Jay Crowder, Kyle Korver, Grayson Allen, a 2019 first-round pick that turned into Brandon Clark and a future first-round pick. We had 32.6% say both teams won. 2.1% said both teams lost. You live some fun. You must be fun at parties if you voted that one. And then 65.2%, and this was out of 141 votes, said that the Grizz won and the Jazz lost. Let, so, let, let, let me just ask you this, and I'll make this pretty plain and simple. What was Utah's aspiration in trading for Mike Conley? It was, I think it was simple. I think they were trying to look at, hey, can we win a title? Because they had been a second-round exit and a first-round exit the two years prior. They had this young guy, Donovan Mitchell, on a rookie contract, and then they also had Rudy Gobert, who was, he was on a nice contract. Like, it wasn't an albatross that he's about to get. Uh-huh. Um. You had, the yeah. Warriors, you had the Warriors little thing going on, too, where Kevin Durant was about to leave. Mm-hmm. And we didn't really know what the Lakers were going to build around with LeBron and Anthony Davis because they sold the farm for Anthony Davis. So the Jazz took that as an opportunity. It's like, hey, let's add this point guard that was a 21-6 and six guy on this okay team, put him next to Donovan Mitchell. He's been in the playoffs before. And let's go try to win a title. And – to put it plain and simple, I think those aspirations were just shot down when the Clippers added two MVP caliber players to their already loaded team and the Houston Rockets added another MVP next to James Harden and the Denver Nuggets just stayed the course on a 55-win team. I just think that's what happened to them. But, Nate, I want to hear your thoughts on this. So it's Who so- won the trade? It- your trade, you're always going to be most likely on the downside of a trade if your reason for doing said trade is to give yourself championship aspirations, if it's to get yourself over the championship hump. And ultimately, you can't control outside external circumstances. You can't control what other teams do to maximize their rosters and put themselves in championship contention as well. But even if you were to take that fact outside of the consideration and said, you know what, they did everything they could, they maximized their roster, and they may still not be good enough. Now, let me ask you this. Was Mike Conley the Mike Conley that they traded for this year, the Mike Conley they thought they were getting, was that the one they received at this trade? Uh, I think any Jazz fan could probably agree with you on this, but he wasn't. He wasn't. He simply wasn't. He simply wasn't himself, whether that was because of health, whether that was because of a new system, a new location, or just simply because he's a 32-year-old 6'1", 6'2", point guard, and – Point guards who are that small just generally don't age well at the NBA, and that's pretty consistent across generational barriers in NBA history. But whatever the reason is, he was not the player for them this year that he was in Memphis. And the Mike Conley in Memphis that was averaging 20 points and six assists while shooting around 40% from three, that was the player that Utah thought they needed to be able to get over the championship hump. And if they had received that player – Maybe we're having a different conversation right now. I still don't think they would have made it to the finals out of the West. There's no way they were ever going to beat the Lakers or the Clippers in their current iterations, but it would have put them in a better situation, a spot. But ultimately, the trade didn't do what they wanted it to do, and the player they got in order to make that happen 
wasn't the player they thought they were going to have for this season. Now, Parker, let me ask you this. What do the Grizzlies hope to get back in this trade? I think it's simple. They're just looking for a reset in the best way possible. They, But also, too, they wanted to bring in guys that could actually provide veteran guidance next to John Morant and, J- and Jaron Jackson Jr., but also on a, a nice cost that they can use in a future trade. And in that, they got a former first-round pick, a year removed from being a first-round pick player in Grayson Allen, who we've talked about, who just he, – he, he's a nice player. He's not going to be the starting shooting guard next to John Moran or anything, but he's a nice player. And then they got a future first-round pick where you never really know what comes out of f- future first-round picks, but you got Brandon Clark out of it. Yeah, yeah. so you got two first-round picks for Conley, and um, that first-round pick – We've already talked about it. We can have a conversation about that in a minute. Could convey a little bit sooner than we expected. But let me ask you about Brandon Clark. Do you think there's a possibility that he could be an all-star in the future? Do you foresee a future where he is an all-star? I'm not, I'm not asking if you think it's likely or not. I'm just saying, do you see a potential scenario where he is? I can see a scenario where there's one or two seasons where he sneaks in and becomes an all-star. I mean, sure, I sure. have a similar – kind of ceiling for him as a guy like Paul Millsap yeah. or something like that as a strong elite defender at his position. He can space the floor when needed to. He can provide a little playmaking. And ultimately the big the biggest thing out of it is he's a winner and he's going to contribute to winning basketball. So if the Grizzlies' aspirations in this trade were to get veteran pieces that could support the younger pieces on this roster, which they ended up getting in Jay Crowder, who was very impactful in the time that he was here in Memphis before the Grizzlies traded him in the Justice Winslow trade, who formed another part of the Grizzlies' core. We've yet to see him because of injury, but we'll get to see him, good Lord willing, um, starting next year. But let's take Brandon Clark in a vacuum. Brandon Clark has already shown himself to be an elite role player, and he's just a rookie. He may be a little bit older at 23 years old, but he's still a rookie, and he's only going to get better. He's going to get better as a shooter. He's going to improve at every facet of the game, especially as a defender, and you can foresee – a scenario where he's able to sneak into an all-star team or two for a year or two years down the line. But Brandon Clark, regardless of what you think of him, it's undeniable that he is a key figure in the Grizzlies' young core. You mentioned him in the same breath that you do, John Morant and Jaron Jackson Jr. Would he alone, with the Grizzlies' aspirations with this trade in mind, he alone, to me, means that the Grizzlies won this trade. To get a player of his caliber to be a foundational piece of this young core going forward, along with getting a veteran presence, and that's not even mentioning the other first-round pick, which we'll talk about here in a minute, that is going to prove immensely valuable to the Grizzlies. We're not even talking about Grayson Allen, who hit five threes in a playoff atmosphere game against the New Orleans Pelicans two days ago. Brandon Clark alone, to me, means the Grizzlies won the Utah trade, the Mike Conley trade. Yeah, for sure. And there's another aspect of that, too, where nobody thought Brandon Clark would fall mm-hmm. this low on draft night. I mean, I, I looked at a quick mock draft from Leach Report, and they had Keldon Johnson going 23 with Brandon Clark going much higher, obviously, than 23. And obviously, the Grizzlies did trade up. And they got Brandon Clark 
at 21, but you're right. The real thing, the real way this trade becomes lopsided is Brandon Clark hitting hundred percent or between 85 to hundred percent of his potential. And that's a really good player. And I don't want to get much into this, but I have an interesting comp for Brandon Clark that you may agree with, but I know that Joe Mullinax would swoon over. Ready? I'm ready. He's big man Malcolm Brogdon. I could see it. He's kind of like uh, a, a super efficient player who he's not going to be the go-to scorer on your, on your team, but him as your third or fourth guy, that's a really good team, and he's just going to make winning plays and make plays on both ends of the court. And If, only, just, if only the Milwaukee Bucks had felt the same way. Yeah. But, yeah, I can definitely see that. He's already one of the most efficient players in the NBA by every single metric. And you've heard me preach ad nauseum about how he was either the second or third most efficient rookie in NBA history. And really the only player in NBA history as a rookie that would be ahead of him is Mitchell Robinson, who just dunks everything. <laughs> uh, I think yeah. he shot 75% for the – I think he broke the NBA record for field goal, field goal percentage of the season this year. He shot some – obscene 75 or 76 percent from the field which is all the more impressive considering that the Knicks guards who are feeding him or some combination of Frank Nokina, Dennis Smith Jr., um, Alfred Payton. <laughs> I'm probably forgetting some other trash guard out there but um, not to go on a tangent but I found that highly impressive but yeah Brandon Clark is going to be a pivotal uh, piece going forward. And could there be a future down the road where the Grizzlies decide, all right, we don't think we're going to be able to get the wing score that we're looking for in the 2021 free agency class. Um, We're not sure if we're going to be able to find that guy in the 2021 NBA draft with two possible draft picks in that draft. We don't think we're going to find that guy there. The Chicago Bulls are offering us Zach Levine for Brandon Clark, Dylan Brooks, and one of our first-round picks. Maybe at that point you have to consider it. But until then. Ooh, no. Uh-uh. Wait, wait, what? Okay. Really? You're just shooting that down right off the cusp? Brandon Clark would be the deal-breaker in any Zach Levine trade. I'm not trading Brandon Clark for Zach Levine. Would you do it for Devin Booker? Yeah, I would. I mean, you saw what he did today against the Los Angeles Clippers. He scored I mean, 35 and had eight assists, and he hit a game winner over Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. He's sure, one of the sure. top makers but, in the league. But what does Booker really even do better than Levine? He's a, he's, a, he's a better playmaker, I'll give him that. But, like, what does he even really do better? I think he's a better playmaker and a better shooter. I think I, I, the numbers just kind of get skewed because – He's on the. He's been on the Phoenix Suns with Isaiah Cannon has his starting point guard most of the time. He hasn't had a real point guard until this year. Oh well, um, Levine is the better shooter from three point range. He's the better shooter statistically. I think he made somewhere between three and three and a half threes a game on like thirty eight percent from beyond the yard. And as I told a friend of the show and former G- GBB or Mark King earlier today, that's not something I would do. 
right now. And I'm just saying yeah. if the right offer is certainly not right now, for sure. I want to see this group grow and mature together. But if there comes a point where you think this is the best chance that we have to add a dominant wing score, I would definitely consider it at that point. I definitely would. I'm not saying I'd absolutely do it, but when I shoot it down right off the cusp, absolutely not. Especially if Levine takes another leap, which is very possible. Sure. But um, I do want to, before we get to the end of the show here, I want to talk about the real deal breaker of this trade. The one that can honestly kind of make this look really, really lopsided down the road. And that is that second first round pick. And it has protections. I think this year it's, um, I want to say it's, protected to where if it fell between 6 and 14, it would go to the Grizzlies. But what top five and then outside the lottery goes to Utah. Same protections for 2021. And in 2022, it becomes top seven protected, which that's people see that as the most likely scenario. But given the Utah Jazz, I'm just going to say I'm out on Utah. And I'm not even just saying that as far as like, oh, I think the Utah Jazz are going to lose to the Memphis Grizzlies. I'm not saying that. I'm just out on them as a team. They have th- they're relying on three 30-year-old players, more offensive-oriented players around Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, and Rudy Gobert, who's a limited offensive player in his own right, and Donovan Mitchell, who probably is best suited as a co-pilot somewhere. You have that. You have a very thin bench that's getting exposed by the injury of Boyama Donovich, as well as he's right. We've talked about how the Grizzlies could be better next season and still miss the playoffs. And I think similar to the Utah Jazz to where I think with their roster, they're not as good as the Warriors coming up or even a team like the Kings or the Pelicans or the and the Blazers are going to get Yusuf Nurkic back. And Yusuf Nurkic looks like he hasn't really missed a step either. So you're looking at a situation where you can realistically have two picks in the 2021 draft, and it looks like a very good class. And I will ask for your thoughts on the pick, but to kind of start off this question, do you want to trade this pick before you see what spot it falls or no, no, and I would. I, I think any type of like blockbuster deal you try to pull off, I think you're waiting to the end of next year to see where that pick would start to fall. And, and, and you know, maybe you can have that conversation at the deadline next year if Utah is winning at the same pace they are this year, which, like you, I don't think that's going to happen. I'm not going to say I'm totally out on them to the point where I think it's a guarantee they won't make the playoffs this coming year because um, I don't think Oklahoma City will be as good as they are next year. I think the chances of Chris Paul at this age um, having two completely healthy seasons in a row or next to none. I think he'll miss significant time and the Thunder won't be as good as they were next year. I don't think the Thunder will make the playoffs next year. Um, there's already talks that the Houston Rockets could basically go into a rebuild of sorts if they don't make it past the first or second round of this year's playoffs. Mike D'Antoni probably won't be the coach anymore and I've even heard conversation they could look to move Russell Westbrook if things don't pan out for them this postseason. 
Um, I'm not sure if they'll do that or not. I just don't think the Houston Rockets model really is that sustainable over the long term. So if they started to trend in the wrong direction next year, that wouldn't surprise me either. I also mentioned Dallas to you earlier today, and I feel less strongly about Dallas than I do OKC at Houston. Um, and to a certain degree, you think, why would they take a step backwards? You have a top five, top seven player in the world in Luka Doncic. You have one of the more unique big men in NBA history, Kristaps Porzingis, who are both 24 years old and younger. So why would you think they'd take a step backwards? And the reason I think that is because they have a bunch of role players who have all vastly overperformed their talent level this year. And I heard what you told me earlier today, a lot of that has to do with the system. They're playing with a, a generational playmaker in Luka Doncic. They're playing under one of the best coaches in the league, Rick Carlisle, and they have the best statistical offense in NBA history. And you got to be laughing at me at this point that I've used the in NBA history, I think, three times in the last two minutes, but it's all been accurate each time that I've used it. Um, So I'm not going to come out and say for a fact that Utah is going to miss the playoffs next year, but if I were a betting man, I'd probably put body on it and say they won't. So that pick will be in a good scenario. I'm not going to pretend like I've done extensive research into 2021 draft prospects to tell you who the Grizzlies among wings could acquire at that point in time. But their draft capital is going to look even better a year from now than it does now. And it looks pretty darn good right now. It does. Right. And that's even considering, you know, you never, you don't even ever have to trade for you know that guy that you're missing, where you could. I mean, we've seen guys that we talked about over the past week in these hypothetical trades: Devin Booker, Zach Levine, Donovan Mitchell. They were all drafted 13th. If you do the right scouting and stuff, you can find a difference maker. I mean, even like CJ McCollum, he was at like 10. Clay Thompson, he was at 11. You could find guys in the late lottery, and this draft class is looking like a class where. You can, you can potentially find something. Granted, I, like you, I don't want to be so far into this draft class and say, oh, they should pick this guy, this guy. Things change. For one, you have guys fall, but also you have guys like over the past two years, we've seen John Morant, uh, Trey Young, Shay Jones Alexander, Tyler Hero. They shoot up the lottery boards. Same thing can happen this this coming year. And you can – but bottom line is – Adding two two first round picks potentially next season, having cost control over the stretch of four years to players who they might end up being pretty good. You can get another draft night seal. You can get another Brandon Clark kind of deal if you wanted to, and that that's just great position for the Grizzlies to be in. And for the most part, that's why I think the Grizzlies won that trade. And yeah, yeah and I agree, and that's why I don't overreact the way some people do. I mean, you'll see my angry rants on Twitter from the last couple of games, the bubble games, but as soon as I cool off, I don't really am that concerned in the long term about their perimeter shooting or the desperate desire to go out and find a dominant perimeter score because you're going to have your opportunities to add those. You're going to have the 2021 free agency class, which honestly um, – I'm going to go ahead and just uh, put my money on the table and say it's going to happen. You mark my words, Duncan Robinson will be a Memphis Grizzly in 2021. Okay, you're just going to keep stealing that from me, dog? Damn, dude. Was it What? You didn't I'm, say it was absolutely going to happen. You said you wanted it to happen. See, 
I've, I've said that the, I'm speaking into existence, but I've also based the reasoning off. I said it's because the Miami Heat's going to go star chasing. And then oh, yeah. Bam yeah. Adebayo. Yeah, I wasn't going to go too di- uh, dig too deeply into the logic. I'm leaving that to you, man. I, I just want it to happen. Like, I, I'm on the same way, wavelength as you. It's not about who gets the credit, Parker. It's about whether the Grizzlies get Duncan Robinson or not. Hey, and two people tried to speak it into existence. I that, that's think, better than anything. I, yes, I, I agree. Yeah, I, I do think that's more powerful than just one. I do. So, I think he will be a Grizzly in the future. Um Maybe they're able to find someone even more higher profile than that in 2021. I don't have the list in front of me for free agents in that class. But um, you'll also have a couple swings either in the 2021 um, NBA draft or you will have another swing a little bit later on down the road depending on what happens with Utah. I'm not sweating. It's all going to work out. They're going to have their opportunities. They're going to have their swings to add a complimentary piece Next to John Jaron, the type of player they need, frankly, to take the pressure off of them on the perimeter so they can match up with, say, a Brandon Ingram or a DeMar DeRozan or a C.J. McCollum. Three guys, perimeter players who buried them in their last three games in the bubble. They're going to have their chances. Absolutely. And, Nate, that's about all the time we have for the show, but just – Plug your stuff in. Say any final remarks you have. You can follow me on Twitter at NathanChester24. You can find all my Grizzlies-related content at GrizzlyBearBlues.com. Be on the lookout for a very melancholic but also uplifting and optimistic piece on Jaron Jackson Jr. and the state of the Memphis Grizzlies for tomorrow morning or for this morning because you're listening to this now. Yeah, do that. Make sure you're reading GrizzlyBearBlues.com. Um, follow me on Twitter at Paca underscore Flocka to read all my content over at the blog at grizzlybearblues.com. All right, Parker, why don't you say it today? And that's all, folks.